As always, we must thank our daddy's favourite level patrons. They, along with our good boy tier and subscriber tier, make this show possible. Thank you so much. Anyone signing up at any tier, I'm very grateful for. So, Southern Suter, Hilary P, Ochnerb, Banjo Stewie, Adam F, Brian C, and Harry Hypnotist. Please know, you are Daddy's favourite. Hello, and welcome back to the Kinky Boys podcast. I'm Craig, and today's joy as co-host is joining me, David. Hi. Hey. Yeah, so you may have noticed we've been on a little break. I basically needed a little holiday from stuff because stuff in my local community is really ramping up. We are Holidays are important. Yep, they are. But yeah, I'm back and my activities within like my community organizing has given me a great idea. So I thought, why not do an episode for people who are complete beginners and talk about taking your first steps into a new community, particularly kink and leather. So I feel like we should also mention there's a difference between being a beginner at doing kink versus being a beginner at entering the kink community and interacting with other kinksters. Like these are two skills that are related in many ways, but are definitely not the same. Oh, indeed. Yeah, and I think it like you can have kinky sex, but like people often talk about wanting a sense of community or wanting to get involved with stuff. And that is a little different than just like hooking up with people with similar fetishes through apps or dating sites. Exactly. Yes. You can be a very experienced kinkster, but not have many friends that you can Mm -hmm. talk about your kinky activities with. And Similarly, you can be very well connected in the kink community and very open to discussing this sort of thing and also have very little experience with actually engaging in some of these kinks. So I'd say these are two different avenues to discuss, but most of the rest of the podcast has been about actually engaging in these kinks. I think today we're mostly going to be talking about the community around these kinks and how you find people that you can talk about your interests with openly and feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. So I thought maybe we start off by talking about our own experiences and where we are and where we consider ourselves and then go into what this what we can use to part sorry. What knowledge we can use to pass on to people. That sounds good to me. Craig, why don't you start? So I basically started going out into the London fetish scene in general as soon as I turned 18. I lived in a commuter belt around London, so it was quite easy for me to come in on the weekends. I had friends who were willing to drive in. And I started off by basically going to fetish club sex nights. There's one in London, a night called Full Fetish, and that was sort of my first time going to any of these things and it was a bit troubling because i basically found that wasn't a good fit for me going to sex parties where i didn't feel like i quite fit in you know many years later it like i learned about demisexuality and why i may not fit in that environment also 
lot of people high on drugs. Like, yes, it's like, true. Yeah. So I had a bit of a weird time where I knew I kind of wanted to be part of something, but I couldn't quite find my way in. And the big entrance for me was basically finding kinky people in non-kinky settings. So my D&D group was a great one. Yeah. And I slowly started to find people who were like, oh, you're a huge nerd like me. We can nerd out and we also are kinky. And we built friendships off of that. And I sort of grew a friend network around. And like, I kept getting introduced to friends of friends and they became my friends and it grew like that. And then I started going to the London Leather Social when it first started. And I used that opportunity to start publicly bootblacking. And I became basically a fixture there. People knew, like, every month I would be there in the corner bootblacking. And I sort of gained a reputation and became, what's the word I'm looking for? I think the best way to describe it is a fixture of that little corner of the community i was the boot black who worked at london leather social reliably present exactly i showed up i did the work and that sort of gave me a good reputation and yeah two years ago i was approached and asked if i would like consider being on the committee of the local leather club and i was a bit not sure i'm ready but i'll give it a go And I got voted in. Yeah, and that's where I'm at currently. Very cool. So so your experience is a bit different. How do you find? Yes, definitely. So I grew up in the United States. I live in Amsterdam these days. But I went to college in Massachusetts, and I met my first partner while I was in college. He was very interested in leather and kink. I, at the time, had no real exposure to any of that. And I didn't quite know what to make of his interest, but I was certainly open to it. And I was curious about it as well. It's just that he knew more about it than I did, although neither of us knew very much. So we started playing around with some of this fetish stuff between the two of us privately but quickly realized that we had no idea what we were doing and started exploring some resources where we could learn more. So there are a small number of gay bars in the Boston area, which is where I was. And we started exploring some of the more leather and fetish oriented ones Even sometimes there were events focused on fetish communities at non-fetish bars. So we tried going to some of these events a couple of times, and it was certainly an eye-opening experience to see people in leather and rubber and very little clothes in general walking around and chatting and having a very nice social time wasn't really what I expected in part because I was expecting there to be just like constant sex happening because of course that's what you see in porn. Mm -hmm. But the reality turned out to be quite different. It was all of these guys who were dressed up like you see in fetish porn, but they weren't, you know, these sex crazed, attractive muscle gods. They were normal people who just happened to have an interest in this. And I found that very refreshing, actually. 
So it was certainly a difficult experience to try to meet some of these people because it was intimidating to try to break into Mm -hmm. this community. But we started getting to know one or two people and started learning more about what sort of fetishes and kinks other people were interested in and how to do them correctly. We started making more and more friends in the Boston area including people who were on the older side and as a result had a lot more experience. I remember there was this guy who used to run rope workshops out of his home and another person who would do workshops about like impact play, paddling, spanking, whipping, that sort of thing. And as we got to know these people, we got invited to these events hosted in their private residence Mm -hmm. and it was a really nice sense of community. It was really nice to get to know people. And yes, sex was involved, but I was kind of surprised to discover that sex was in a way secondary to the whole community aspect of it all. It was a group of people who shared interests and could talk about those interests in a way that you couldn't elsewhere. And that was really powerful for me. I also went to a couple of other events in other places. There's this organization called GNI, which I believe stands for Gay Nudists International. And they host events locally, but also a a big event once a year where everyone comes together. And it's just basically a two-week summer camp filled with gay men where everyone is naked all the time. (laughs) And it was a ton of fun. Yeah, sounds nice. So I started building up all of these community connections in the United States. And then I moved to Amsterdam, which has been a big shift for me. It is a different group of people speaking a different language with different community norms and expectations, different places to go in terms of like, where do you meet people? And it's been a little harder for me to get into this community a second time for me. I'm starting to make progress, but it feels like starting over is difficult. And I've got some benefits of the history that I've had, but not as many as I would have hoped. So I had this experience of being part of a community. And now I feel like I'm just sort of starting to creep back into a new community that's related to where I came from. Yeah. And like, it does take time and also you're facing a barrier of you're basically in a country where most people don't well most people do speak english but it's their second language yes exactly yeah. the language barrier is exactly that it's a barrier mm-hmm. it's not an insurmountable barrier but it makes it difficult to connect with people this is one of the reasons why i've actually had a lot of success going to the uk Mm-hmm. getting involved in the kink scene in London in part because that language barrier doesn't exist. And I've met a lot of really nice people in the UK and I'm hoping that I can develop some of these similar sorts of positive connections in the Netherlands as well. But you know, one step at a time. Yeah. I, and this is the funny thing is even though the UK is not your home country, you are very well integrated into the London scene. Thank you. <laughs> You introduced me at the beginning of this podcast as David. Other people might know me by the name Harry Hypnotist. So if that rings a bell, then hi, that's me. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, you are one of the most sociable people I know. 
Thank you. You have, I appreciate that. Of course. You have a real knack for just talking and getting to know people in a way I know a lot of people find quite difficult, myself included. Well, it is something I have to push myself to do. It's not mm-hmm. something that comes naturally to me. I had to learn a little bit how to be friendly and social and welcoming to people. So, dear listener, if you also feel that you can't interact with people well, I'm here to let you know it's a skill that can be learned. It's not something that you have to feel sad about for your whole life. It's just something that takes practice. Yeah, it it, it definitely takes practice. And I've gotten better over it over the years. Although mm-hmm. I still find myself with certain barriers. So, for example... There is a different community I want to try and sort of get to know. I want to break into the local London Radical Fairy. Oh, cool. Sort of group. And I know they have a meeting on the Friday closest to the full moon. Mm -hmm. And every time I say to myself, this is the month I'm going to go. And I always chicken out because I will be there completely alone without one person I know. Yeah, and often that's I, really hard. Yeah, yeah. Like fully introducing yourself to a new group with no one you have previous knowledge of is really difficult and really intimidating. Yes, it is possible. But the difference between having zero friends and having one friend is tremendous. And so I would say if you are someone who is more established in a community and you encounter someone else who is visiting that community and trying it out for the first time it's probably worth trying to make a special effort to reach out to them say hi welcome them because they will appreciate it immensely to be a part of that and correspondingly if you are someone who's trying to break into a community for the first time it's okay to ask for someone who's been a part of the community to sort of be your mentor or guide a little bit to say, Hey, I'm new here. Can you teach me the ropes a bit? I know that it's tremendously helpful to have someone like that. And they'll probably feel honored that you're asking as Mm -hmm. well, because that's a symbol that you consider them to be an important part of that community. So it's perfectly fine to ask that. Yeah. And I think there's something especially in English speaking cultures where you can't really ask to be introduced in that way. Mm -hmm. So like, or at least people feel that way. But if you do just say, Hey, I know you're better connected than me. Can you introduce me to people as an explicit request? You can get very far with that. Like you shouldn't be afraid to ask those sorts of questions. That's true. Yeah. And it's, also okay to pull someone aside and ask them in a more private way rather than doing so in front of everyone else. Hmm. Oh, certainly. Community is hard. Socializing and building friendships does take work. And I think a lot of people come to not only the kink community, but many different communities. A lot of people come to existing communities with this sense of I'm new here, therefore I need someone to take my hand. I need someone to do the work to make it easier for me. And 
it's true. That helps quite a lot. But you also need to keep in mind that when you do that, you are taking up someone else's time and energy to make it more easy for you. And once you do become a part of that community, it's important to pay it forward, to be that mentor for someone else in the same way that they were for you. Community is not something that you can just take from all the time and never give anything back. It has to be reciprocal. It has to be an acknowledgement that you have benefited from other people helping you. And so you should be able to give back and help other people in whatever way you can. Exactly. And that kind of, that is what forms a bond bonds it within communities yeah. is this understanding that you are both taking and giving to something larger. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask other people to push you forward and raise you up. It's not okay to only ever ask and never give in return. Oh, totally. And it's like I've said it before, one of the main reasons I started like doing this podcast and got into community work is because I really had a dearth of mentors. I didn't really have many people that I could take that from. So I want to be that person for others. Mm -hmm. And that's always been very important for me. So how can you give back to the community, especially if you're fairly new to all of this and just dipping your toe in the pool, you might say? So one of the things, one of the little tips I was going to give, and this is a great way to like speed run getting to know people, is to volunteer, is to go to your local club or certain club nights and say, hey, do you need a volunteer for anything? Do you need someone to work the coat room? Like a lot of clubs around London, club nights around London will take on people to work in the cloakroom for like half a shift. And as reward, you basically get into the club night for free. And the these aren't like the sort of paid for club nights. These are the sort of more community organized ones, often run by a trust. Stuff like collared, gear bound, and of course, the socials tend to be in mm -hmm. this category. And they are always in need of people volunteering. Always. Don't ever think they've got stuff covered. <laughs> and doing so, that'll get you meeting people and interacting with people in a good, friendly way. You'll build up a good social reputation for yourself, which is gold. It is currency. And that will really help you integrate into a community really quickly. Yeah, I like that idea quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And another thing that you mentioned earlier, Craig, is one of the ways that you got very integrated mm -hmm. into the community was being a fixture, being reliably present at these events. It's all well and good to go to events now and then and it's okay to say, you know, I don't feel like I have the energy to go out tonight. I don't want to go out tonight. That's fine. But community is based on repeated interactions with people. You can't just show up once and expect that all of a sudden you're going to be this well-known, well-accepted person in the community. It does take time and it takes multiple positive interactions with a person before they start to 
remember who you are, recognize you and feel good around you and feel comfortable around you in a way that builds friendships. So as nice as it would be to just wave a magic wand and suddenly you are, you know, in the center of all of the community that you want, it takes time to build mm -hmm. these connections and it takes repeated positive interactions. Yes. And not all these connections will be something which you can call a friendship. Sometimes it's just, you know, people. That's true. That's yeah. true. Like I find one of the barriers people that people come up against is they feel like there are clicks going on. And when I look at them dispassionately, I think, is it a click or is it just a friendship group you are not part of? And I think that's, that's a good point. Yeah. That's something to keep in mind, which is you will not be integrated as friends with everyone but you will still know them and still be in that world and be in contact with them. In my experience with communities run primarily by gay men, whether that is kink communities or chorus communities or social communities or whatever, in most communities run by gay men, there's a certain level of cattiness, I would say. This belief that there's like the queen bee of the social hierarchy, someone who's so beautiful, so perfect that of course everyone caters to their every whim and therefore they must be an asshole as a result. Yeah. But the more that I explore these communities, the more that I find that this idea is more myth than reality. Occasionally you come across the real thing, but much more often what you find is people who have attracted groups of good friends to them, and through that have become a widely known and influential part of the community. But that doesn't mean that they're automatically an asshole. Quite the opposite. In order for them to attract those people and maintain those connections, that usually indicates that they're a very good person, that once you get to know them, they can be a really strong friend or connection, someone who enjoys being with other people and spending time together. So even if you're looking at these communities from the outside and you think, oh gosh, those guys in leather or that hottie in rubber, he's so beautiful. He must have people around him all the time. I'm so jealous of him. Therefore, I'm automatically going to assume that he's an asshole. That is not necessarily true. It might be true, but it also might be you projecting your anxieties onto that other person. Yeah, no, that is very true. And it's also, so people see different sides of people. Some people are really nice and some people just grate against one another. Yes. Like, I'm sure there are people who really don't like me, but... That is the nature of people, you know. Exactly. Sometimes you have positive connections and sometimes not so much, shall we say. So one of the topics I wanted to broach is, do you need gear to get into the kink community? Oh, that's an interesting question. I would say that for someone who is just taking his first steps into these events, it's perfectly reasonable to not have any sort of gear at all to say, Hey, I'm a newbie. I don't own anything. I'm just sort of exploring to even see if this is for me. 
I don't think there's any expectation that someone is going to go out and spend a lot of money on some sort of leather or rubber piece of gear when they don't even know if it's really what they want. So I think it's fine to start out without any sort of gear. But at the same time, I would say that gear has many different benefits. And one of them is social signaling, Mm -hmm. which is to say by wearing something that marks you as part of this community, that makes it easier for other people to recognize you as part of the community and to start conversations with you and to have that shared understanding even before they start the conversation. There's a couple of different ways that you could do that, but gear is a good way. Craig, what are your thoughts on this? Very similar. So I know on the London scene and a lot of others, especially around the UK, leather socials are quite popular where it's sort of leather is recommended, but not necessary. And there are also very sort of gear light socials where like you can enter, but you need at least to vaguely fetishy mm-hmm. and often that's like wearing a pair of boots and maybe a leather wristband to get the look yeah. going and i do recommend people get a sort of what i call the sort of bare minimum which will just grant you entry to certain nights that do require gear and that can be a pair of boots and a vest like a leather bar vest hmm. Obviously, this is for like the leather community. Rubber community has different standards. Um, but what this will get you is you can get both relatively cheap, especially secondhand. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I got my bar vest with all my pins on it uh, from Fetish Freak for 60 quid. And the boots were 40 quid off Amazon. Nice. Yeah. Which, depending on your income, that can still seem like a lot, but it is a good investment. Mm-hmm. And these will give you the basics of what you need to basically enter into a leather space. Like, as feel comfortable and have other people recognize you as someone who wants to be a part of this as well. Exactly. And I was having an interesting conversation with a friend of mine a few months ago. He was saying he wishes he was actually into leather because he sees leather men interacting easily in a way that he doesn't feel a part of. And he was quite surprised when I told him, I don't actually like leather in a fetishy way. Mm-hmm. I, I get turned on by lycra and rubber because of the skin tight feel. The feel of leather or the look of leather, like I think leather looks really cool, but I don't get turned on by it in the same way. I have always invested in leather, like my leather shirt, leather vests, boots, as social signaling that is what it is for me it's not a fetish thing Mm -hmm. it's like i know that is a certain price of admission into this community i've also had it described to me by someone as leather as fashion versus leather as fetish yeah leather as fashion is when you wear leather because you like the way it makes you look you like the way that other people look at you when you wear leather You like the signals that it sends out in terms of letting other people know that you're a part of this community. And then leather as fetish is when you are actually aroused 
by wearing, touching, smelling, interacting with leather gear. And you can have one, but not the other. You can also have both. And there's people out there who have neither, but I doubt that any of them are listening to this podcast. There's a few. Like, I know a lot of people, well, I know of a few people have talked about how their only real fetish is power exchange, but they're not into gear. That's fair. In fact, I largely fall into that category. Although for me personally, I would say I'm still leather as fashion because Mm. from a power exchange point of view, I like the way that people interact with me when I'm wearing leather. Exactly. And I think this is the thing. It's sort of because the leather community is so intertwined with power exchange, it is that good pathway through. Even if you're not Mm -hmm. into the gear, like you can find people you chime with through it. And when we're talking about leather here, we're not just referring to leather. That's a shorthand for leather or rubber or lycra or whatever sort of material fetish gear interest you might have. It's just because it seems to be a very visible and core tenant of this fetish community, a lot of people use the word leather as a shorthand for all of that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, my advice, like you don't need to, and you can try before you buy with stuff like the socials, but also for a lot of nights where they require a certain amount of gear, there is sort of a bare minimum you can invest in. Mm-hmm. Like, I re- I was very lucky with my first bits of gear. I got a there was an army surplus stall down in my local market in my town where I grew up, and I got a London Leatherman brand vest, which I'm finding out is actually quite rare nowadays, for ten pound. And this was wow. a leather bar vest because that's impressive. Yeah, because the guy who ran the army surplus stall did certain rounds at pride markets like Brighton Pride. Mm -hmm. So I got this leather bar vest, 10 quid, and my boots were from, people in the UK will know this, it's a budget shoe place called Shoe Zone. And I got black work boots for £5, like £5.99. That's how budget it was. This was back in like the late 2000s. And yeah, I just put a ton of polish on them because they were basically plastic or plastic coated. Mm-hmm. Put a ton of polish on, polish on them to make them look like polished leather. And that's what my kit started as. You can also, like if you are interested in getting into this community and you know people who are, but you don't have any gear, you can ask to borrow some of theirs as well. And that is a perfectly acceptable thing to ask. Again, as long as you don't ask that all the time. Yes. It needs to be a mixture of give and take, not just take. Yeah. And I do really encourage people to bring back gifting leather. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of gifting leather was, I mean, there's this sort of old guard myth about it being about people had to earn their leather. But what it was really about is like a lot of young people coming up couldn't afford leather. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. So you gifted them the old stuff you had grown out of. It's like, I'm growing from a twink to a bear. My old leather don't doesn't fit me. But this young person coming up who I trust and know and think would be a good addition to the community deserves it, essentially. Yeah. 
it's a nice idea. And I think that it's one of the many things that have been not necessarily lost, but made a lot more rare by so many people in our community dying off during the times of AIDS. Mm -hmm. Like we basically lost a generation. And that's one of the reasons why these generational traditions are much rarer than they should be. Exactly. And I think we should make an effort to bring it back. Mm -hmm. So are there any other ways we can think to where to meet people? Well, there's always the modern the modern bar, which is mm -hmm. these online hookup apps. Mm -hmm. um, there is any number of them these days. I don't know how many there are, but it's certainly more than 50 different companies, 50 different apps that do these sort of things. And you can find a slightly different group of people on whichever one you choose. Mm -hmm. However, there's upsides and there's downsides to doing that. The upside is because it's digital, it's very accessible. You can scroll through these grids of images and try to find the person that you're looking for. The downside is because it's digital, it's not very connective in the same way that meeting someone in person is connective. It's a great way to see if you can find someone who shares an interest of yours that is fairly niche. Mm -hmm. And we are talking about the fetish community. There's lots of people who have fairly niche interests. So there's nothing wrong at all with using these platforms to try to find people who share your interest. But again, there's a difference between fetish as a sexual endeavor and fetish as community. And a lot of people use these hookup apps for just that, for hooking up, for experiencing sexual connection with people. And that's fine. I've done plenty of that. I have nothing bad to say about that, except to say that it's not the same thing as building community. And there are some people who go into this expecting or hoping that it is the same thing. And sadly, they are not. You can make connections with people that you've met through these apps, but it's not quite the same as going to an event and being surrounded by people who are showing what they are interested in and are talking about it and are, in some cases, showing it in a demo or experiencing it or having a real interpersonal community feel, I think is something special. So when it comes to these online hookup apps, I would say it's, it's a good way to get started, but it's not the same thing as community. What do you think of that? I think that's very true. And something that may be a little more accessible is finding the kinky pockets on social media sites. Oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah. And I think what's really gold is if you can find people that don't separate their safe for work and their kinky presences online. Yes, but that's pretty rare. Oh, yeah. But but again, it's one of those things of once you find one person who is like that and follow them, you will start through them to find the other people. That's And true. finding people that post not just like porn or hot pics, but actually their daily thoughts and their interests helps you build those other connections. And then you can go, hey, I'm visiting your city or hey, I live in the same city. Do you want to hang out sometime? One of my best friends I made because they messaged me on Twitter. We had followed each other for a while. We both enjoyed each other's feed. And he messaged me and said, hey, I'm new to London. 
do you want to go hang out in a park for a day? And I was like, first time I've done this, but yes, I would love to. And that person ended up becoming one of my dearest and closest friends. That's lovely. It is. Yeah, I've also met people online as well. And I want to point out what you said earlier about kinky pockets on social media, which is different from these hookup apps. Social media is about socializing. Hookup apps are about hooking up. And again, nothing bad about either one, but they're different. So finding these social systems, these social platforms where you can get to know people who you can make these connections with in a social way and also acknowledge their kinkiness and their their interests that are similar or different from yours, I think is really cool. I'll mention that I've also had a lot of good success with meeting people online and then finding a way to meet them in person because we have some similar interests and taking things from there. And often it results in a really nice friendship. Actually, just a couple of days ago, I met up with someone I know from Germany who I first met through Mastodon, the social media network that is mine, the one that I, cho- yeah. that I prefer these days. Mm-hmm. He and I initially connected over our shared interest in hypnosis, but over time got to know each other a bit better, started video chatting more, and we're definitely still interested in hypnosis, but we're also interested in other things as well. So... I invited him to come and visit me for a couple of days, and he did exactly that. And it was a wonderful experience. And yes, we played a bit, but that wasn't the only thing that we did. And we started building a friendship and a connection together, and I really value that. Yeah, that that is brilliant to hear. And again, it's one of those things that it takes time, but if you put in the time, it builds up. Like I have found, so I've been trying out for the podcast, I have a presence on Blue Sky, which seems to be the other one all the kinksters from Twitter are going on to, if you can get an invite code. It, it's weird because like Macedon, it aims to be a sort of second generation federated website, but it focuses much more on algorithmic recommendations. Like the whole thing is you can subscribe to different algorithms that you choose and mastodon has gone the complete opposite way of where it's like completely algorithmless so you don't get recommendations you don't get stuff put into your feed you have to grow it grow stuff yourself organically which ends up being a lot slower and i have found Mm -hmm. interactions on mastodon are a lot deeper i found i formed actual what i would consider proper friendships on it Blue Sky is much better if you're just looking for hot porn pics. (laughs) Like, that's the use case that Blue Sky seems to be better at. And you can, yeah. And you can kind of see people who prefer these two different camps, like going their separate ways, one onto Blue Sky, one onto Mastodon. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, I haven't tried out Blue Sky yet. So this is all new and interesting to me. Yeah, it, it is really a lot like old Twitter. Like, really a lot like old Twitter. <laughs> gotcha. But but going talking about, like, older ways of connecting digitally, there's something people should really do more, which is email into your local clubs. I guarantee nearly all clubs, especially if they're worth their salt, have a contactable email on their website. 
most of the time it puts you in contact with the person who's currently elected to be secretary of that club in like most normal structures. And you can just email in and say, hey, I'm looking to get into the community. Would you be willing to meet me at this social so I at least have one person I know by name? Mm, We've had people do that. And that's a great way because then, you know, I've been the greeter on the door for the London Gear Social. I'll be like, hi, oh, you're so-and-so from the email. Hi, I'm Craig. Chat. I will introduce you to a new group of people. Like, I won't be there with you the whole night because I have people to see, talk to, other people to greet. But I will be there enough to, like, get you into a conversation with other people and start you off on the training wheels that way. Yes. And this is mostly what the clubs are for. We have people emailing from other clubs saying, hi, I'm so-and-so from like this club in Chicago or this club in France or from the EMC. And I am coming to your city. Do you as representatives of your club want to meet up so we can get to know each other? That's their original purpose. So just look for the email address and email into your clear Email in to your nearest local club. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to what we talked about with like asking people to invite you into their social structures. It's a great mm-hmm. way of doing it. And a lot of times people enjoy being asked. So it's okay to do that. It also applies not just for like formal kink club cultures, like what you're talking about, but also informal structures as well. If there are a group of people that you really admire and look up to, and you've been, I don't know, following their social media for a while, and you happen to be in a position where you're going to be physically in the same location as they will be, it's usually totally fine to send them a message online and say, hey, I've been following you for a while. I really like you. I'd love to meet you. Is that possible? And then, of course, sometimes it's possible, sometimes it's not. Sometimes people don't want to meet up with new people at any given point. But I'd say as a rule, people are usually flattered at least to be asked because it indicates that other people look up to them. And that's a really nice thing to hear. So even if the answer is no, it's perfectly okay to reach out and ask as long as you do so in a way that is friendly and polite and respects their time. Yeah. It's that old thing of, well, the worst thing they can say is no. Yeah, exactly. And it, it is one of the things about getting to meet people, know people is getting over the fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. You have to come to understand that if someone doesn't want to keep talking with you or someone doesn't end up becoming your friend or it doesn't end up being a good conversation, rejection isn't the end of the world. It's just something that happens because not everyone will get out. Yeah. It, you have to be willing to face it and not let it have power over you. And this is a nice segue into another topic that I think is really important to talk about when it comes to these sort of kink social structures, which is what happens when you've gotten into a kink community, you find someone there really attractive and you really want to play or have sex with this person, but you're afraid of damaging or destroying the social interactions that the two of you have. Do you have any insights about this? So I end up sleeping with most of my friends. So 
<laughs> so I'm actually a terrible person to ask this because I'm just like, hey, I find you hot. Do you want to have sex? <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was getting at, actually, yeah. because I think a lot of people who are not familiar with these communities have a lot of anxiety around like saying that sort of thing so openly mm. and bluntly. But I think when we're talking about the kink community, most people in these communities are very laid back about this idea of sex and kink and fun and such. And again, as long as you ask in a way that is friendly, polite, respectful, and respects their ability to say no if they choose to, I think it's totally fine to be like, hey, I think you're super attractive and I would love to play with you sometime if you want to. Which, by the way, is very different from saying, hey, hottie, come and get in my bed now. Yeah. Because that is an entirely different, more entitled perspective of saying, just because I find you hot, therefore you must sleep with me. That's very different from an, an open invitation that allows them to say no. Yeah, because that, that is telling, not asking. Saying, yes. hey, I'm really crushing on you. I find you quite hot. Do you want to explore this further? Is very different from like sending them a dick pic. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Like these communities of kinksters are communities where it's normal and by some people even a little bit expected that there's going to be sexual interaction between the people in these communities. Mm -hmm. And that is, I would say, fairly unusual in most community situations. Most other communities don't have the expectation that any given person in the community has slept with several other people in that community. <laughs> But within the kink community, it's considered to be perfectly normal and fine. So if you want to get into these situations and you find someone attractive, it's okay to tell them that. Again, as long as you leave them space to decline or to say, I really like you, but not that way or whatever. Because in the end, this is about maintaining social connections. And if sex happens as well, great. But sex and socializing are two different things. Yeah, like, it's worth saying, I've had that. I've approached someone and saying, hey, I really like you. I find you very attractive. And they've been, you're not my type. I tend to go for skinnier guys or taller guys or, like, I don't think our fetishes match up. And that's been fine. Again, you have to kind of let go of have, letting rejection be this, like, world-ending concept. Yes. And if you go up to some hot person and ask to play with them and they say yes, then there's the question of when and how and in what context do you make that happen? There's a lot of people who have fantasies around the idea of going to one of these leather social events and then revealing to everyone that they are this massive slut and they just want to get used by everyone. And then in their fantasy, they're going to be the center of a gangbang with all of these hot leather men instantly mm -hmm. being interested in taking turns at their hole. It's a very hot fantasy, and it is completely unrealistic for a social situation. Because, again, these social kinky clubs are about just that. They're about socializing and making friends with people. And while it's totally acceptable to go up to someone and say, hey, I think you're hot, we should play sometime, it's usually not acceptable to follow that up with, 
getting down on your knees and sucking his dick right in the middle of everyone, even if he says that he is interested in playing with you at some point. Because that changes the tone of the situation from a social situation into a sexual situation in a way that other people might not have expected or wanted. So it's a great way to meet people who you find attractive and to say, we should get together sometime. But be aware that context matters when it comes to actually engaging in sexual activity with that person. Depending on the group or the event, it might be totally fine. For example, if you go to a sauna or something like that, that's filled with people who are socializing, but where sex mm -hmm. is also perfectly acceptable, then sure, go ahead and do that as long as you have consent. But if you're talking about an event that is billed as a social event and nothing more, then you will get a lot of pushback from people if you try to turn it into a sexual event, even people who are very comfortable with sex. Like, I am very comfortable with sex, and I would still feel uncomfortable if a social event that I was at suddenly became a sexual event in a way that I didn't expect and didn't want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, so we're coming up to time. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think there's something I want to summarize, which I uh, pointed out several times, which is communities, you get out what you put in. Yes. Like I've said like a great way to fast track it is to volunteer your time, to be a fixture where you can, all, where you are always showing up for people or showing up to events. So people get to know you and recognize you as a fixture of the community. It is about putting in that time, that effort, the willingness to volunteer, to be, to put into the community, to then take out from it. Yes. Like, it is a bad habit I see where people turn up to a community and expect things from the community, and then are disappointed because they don't get them because they haven't done the work to put anything in. And... Communities that are well-run try to welcome people and try to give them that social support from the beginning, even before those people have put anything into the community. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a beautiful thing. If you are lucky enough to find one of those communities that has the time, the energy, the, the volunteer staff, and so on, to welcome people from the beginning, that's great. And you should take advantage of that. But okay. again... If you take from that community, then at a certain point, you have a responsibility to give back to that community if you want it to continue to be healthy. Yeah. And one more thing, which is, it's an unfortunate fact of the world, is you will always come across some sort of Waldorf Statler figure. Can I've... you elaborate for people who don't know what that name means? So they are the two people in the Muppets. They're the two old men who tend to sit up in the audience box criticizing. Aha. And unfortunately, I've seen this happen within my community. There has been someone who showed up to the Leather Socials for the first time in like brightly colored, like Mr. Regello shirt leather. And there were basically two old leather queens who was like, ooh, turning up in like bright colored leather, ooh, like running commentary and basically being bitter, bitter Betty's. And unfortunately, 
you will encounter people like that. And again, yeah. it's like the rejection thing, which is they are an unfortunate fixture in every community. Some are worse than others, but you kind of have to look past them to the good people willing to do the good work and just ignore them. But it's a reality that they're probably going to be there at some point. People are people. And mm. sometimes you encounter people who you don't like. That's yeah. just the way of it. That's the, just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's something built into human psychology where we actually remember negative experiences more easily than positive ones. Yes. And so I think it's just being consciously aware if you come across some sort of negative interaction like that, which is that is an exception, not the rule, and to look past them. Yep. I would agree with that. Yeah. So anything else you want to cover with this? There's just one more thing I wanted mm -hmm. to add when we were talking about gear as a sort of social signifier. We talked a lot about gear at these social events. But one thing that I think we missed is the fact that some people choose to wear some small amount of gear on an everyday basis as a way of letting other people who are part of this community recognize them more easily. And there's all different ways that you can do that, ranging from some sort of leather wristband or wrist cuff to common pieces of jewelry, such as a septum piercing or nipple piercing, something like that, or just generally having a relaxed demeanor when people talk about sex. But there are ways that you can do social signifiers to let people know, even in, kink, in, even in non-kink situations, that if they want to approach you about a kinky topic, that you are open to that. Just today, I was at the gym and I saw someone in the shower, a big, muscular, attractive guy who had pierced nipples. And I struck up a conversation with him and mentioned kink. And I was not surprised at all when he said, oh, yeah, I've been into that for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different ways that you can do these sorts of social signaling. And it can be fun to recognize other people in this community even outside of formal event situations. So that's something to consider as well. Oh, definitely. Like my, a good one is the leather wrist wallet. Yes. That, that is a really good staple. And it's one of the things I look for. It's like who besides gay men, especially men into the leather scene has a leather wrist wallet. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's lots of different ways of both, entering these communities and marking yourself as a part of the community so that others can recognize you more easily. And how you choose to do that, or even if you choose to do that, is up to you. But there are lots of resources available as well. And I think the two of us are also resources that you can reach out to. Craig, do you want to mention your contact information? Sure. So you can reach us at kinkyboyspodcast at gmail.com. We are on woof.group as Kinky Boys Pod. We are on Blue Sky now as Kinky Boys Pod. I'm trying to think anything else I want. Like, we are technically on Twitter, but I want to start winding that down. I think that's wise. Yeah. And for myself, as I mentioned, I go by the name Harry Hypnotist Online. 
You can find me at Mastodon. If you go to hypnoguys.com, my username there is Harry Hypnotist. And you can also email me as harryhypnotist at gmail.com. Wonderful. Thank you again for coming on. And as always, listeners, play safe.